We're going to dig in right from the top, everybody. I'm going to read our passage, and then we're going to go after this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in, what's the word? Vain. Now, if there is one thing I hate in this life, it's waste. I hate wasting my time. I hate wasting my energy. I hate wasting food, everybody. Is there anybody like me? You will eat every leftover. I don't care how full I am. I don't care if it makes me vomit. I'm finishing the food. I don't like wasting anything. And I still remember, I'm haunted by this memory. When I, right when I was getting close to finishing college, I was right in the last week of the semester. You know, it's finals week. You're finishing all the projects, all the papers, these things that are worth like 50% or more of your grade. And I'm done. I'm good. I finished up all the stuff. I got it all ready. And I was working a job at that time, and I'm getting in my car, loading everything up. And I just placed my computer on top of my car while I'm loading up. And then I'm driving home, just feeling so good, getting ready to visit the family for break. And I'm going 45 miles an hour, and I hear a weird thud sound. I'm like, that's strange. And I look at my rearview mirror. And there's my computer also traveling at 45 miles an hour down the road, breaking into a million pieces. And some of you are like, well, Brian, that's not that big of a deal. This was pre-cloud days, everybody. This is when your entire life was on that one little box. Anybody remember those days when your life is over when it breaks? I hate wasting stuff. Some things feel like they're in vain. Some of you maybe have been watching the news this last week. One of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges on planet Earth worth $32 billion, went into total bankruptcy in a matter of days. Just overnight, people's entire livelihoods, net worth vanished, just unable to get their money back, and all of their money disappears because a 30-year-old computer whiz was playing Russian roulette with all their money online. Just total waste. You just wonder, like, what was the point of that? This kid just took all my money. I have a really close uh, friend, and she's been a big part of Nicole's and I's lives, and uh, we've been walking with her many years, and she, she met this great guy, and they started dating for years. You know, they're spending their 20s together. They end up getting engaged. They have this nice engagement. We're all excited. They asked me to do their ceremony. So I'm honored. I'm like, yes, of course I'm going to do this wedding. And so we're walking through the whole process. We've got the dress picked out. We got the ceremony set up. We got the plane tickets bought. The honeymoon is all set. Tens of thousands of dollars have been invested into this wedding, only for me to get an email from her parents the week of the wedding, saying, hey, we don't have to tell this to you guys, but the wedding's off. It's not happening. And the wedding never happened. Relationship ended, never to be restored again. This girl's still single to this day, hoping to find somebody. And it's hard not to look at these situations and think, what was the point of that? Like, like where was the purpose? That, that felt like a total waste of this lady's 20s. She's not getting that time back. We've had these experiences in all of our lives. Some of us in here, you know what it's like to give years of your life to a company only for them to drop you like a used piece of meat during a round of layoffs. Some of us, you know what it's like to invest years of your life into a relationship for it just to fall apart and go nowhere. Sometimes, can we just be real? The daily grind of life, do you ever have those moments where you're like, I'm exhausted, if, I'm, I'm tired, like it feels like I'm just spinning my wheels, like is this going anywhere? Like, like, seriously, it feels like it's in vain sometimes. It feels like a waste. Now, last week, 
we started a new series we're simply calling Be Encouraged, everybody. Be Encouraged. And the premise of the series is we're making a case that the claims of Christianity are the most encouraging claims that exist in humanity. And we're not just talking about some false sense of hope. We're talking about claims that are rooted in history, that are rooted in reality, and are not just encouraging. They are life-giving, life-changing, and can provide a renewable source of spiritual vitality and strength in your life. I know that is a high bar. And Paul makes an audacious claim that we just read a minute ago. He said, we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, we know with certainty that our lives are not a waste. We know that there is purpose and direction to this whole thing. I wonder, how can Paul be so sure of this? But he doesn't know my life. He has no idea what kind of time I have wasted playing video games or watching Netflix or doing things. He has no idea. He doesn't know nothing about my life. How can he say this? And what does he even mean? What does he even mean by this not being in vain? What's he talking about? And if this is true, what does this actually mean for your life then? How does this inform how you actually live on a daily basis and what your experience should be day in and day out? That's what I want to dig in today. And we're going to lay some groundwork, everybody. Can I just be honest for a moment? The first part of the sermon is about to get thick, okay? We're going to get in some weeds. Are you guys okay with digging a little bit? Is that okay? Now, this, you got to eat your vegetables before you get dessert, okay? So we're going to eat some vegetables first, and then I promise we'll end with some ice cream and all the sprinkles and all that stuff, all right? Can we dig in? Come on, we're church that digs deep. Let's go after this. I want to spend a minute and talk about the one thing that changes everything. Now, we got to set some context here. What is Paul talking about when he's making all these radical claims? This letter Paul wrote was in the first century to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth. And at this point in time, a controversy started to stir up in this particular church. And the controversy were questions around this person, Jesus. People were saying, well, this guy Paul just came in and told us some random no-name carpenter from a small town died and then somehow rose from the dead and that we somehow, by believing in him, can be saved and have our sins forgiven and go to heaven. That sounds a little strange, okay? That, that sounds a little off. And you have to remember, this is the first century. It doesn't mean people don't have reasoning skills. Like, the idea of a resurrection and somebody dead coming back to life sounded just as ridiculous to them. And so they're saying, how can we even know this guy rose from the dead? Like, seriously, this sounds like something that is totally unrealistic. And think about it. If you were just to walk around Colorado and ask any random person, what do you think happens after you die? I mean, what, do you, what kind of responses do you think you'd get? I'm willing to guess that most people that you would ask would say, I don't know. At the end of the day, I have no idea. Hopefully something good. Hopefully not something bad. But I really can't know at the end of the day. And I'm definitely not sure about this guy, Jesus. There's probably some of us in this room, you probably feel that way. You're like, I'm not totally sold on this whole Christianity thing. My wife dragged me here. I just have to sit through this room. Whatever it is, we're glad you're here. But Paul makes an interesting case. He's about to make an argument that we can have a lot more certainty and confidence about the person of Jesus and the events around his life than we think. And so he's going to start unpacking his reasoning here. And we're going to follow along his line of thinking. Starting in verse 3, Paul says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of First importance, remember that, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Now, Paul talks about this idea of something that is of first importance. I'm curious, if you were to take an honest audit of your life right now, what would you say is most important to you? Like, what is of first importance in your life? Now, if you are a Christian, you might say, well, Jesus, of course, Brian, that's the answer I'm supposed to give at church. But truly, if you looked at how you spend your time, your money, your energy, where your thoughts go often, what's really most important to you? If we peeled the layers back on some of our lives, we wouldn't want to admit this, but we'd say, you know what? It's actually money. Like, I am grinding to climb this corporate ladder. I'm trying to pay the bills. I want to get financial independence. I think about money a lot. Some of us in here, it is just family dynamics. Your life is consumed by kids, wanting them, having them, raising them, not killing them, all of the things kids, trying to figure out a marriage that is dramatic, in-laws, older parents you're taking care of. Like, your life is just consumed by that. It's your entire existence. Some of us in here, it really is a significant other. You got that boyfriend, that girlfriend, you know, that person you just text on Friday nights and you're just thinking about them. Your life is about that. Your money goes for them. It's just your life. What's most important to you, truly? Now, we can say something is of first importance, but our lives reveal what truly is. And what Paul says is, there is one thing that is absolutely the first and most important thing when it comes to any of our lives. And he says it starts with this. Christ died. I had a weird experience these last couple weeks. This really important person in my life, I lived with her and her family for a couple of years, very close to them. We've always stayed in touch. And so we'd always check in my phone, text in, and all those things. And I've been trying to get a hold of her the last couple weeks. And so I'm texting her, no responses. I'm trying to call her, no responses. I'm like, okay, she's not the greatest with technology. Maybe that's just it. You know, I'm just waiting. Nothing's happening. And then finally, just in the last couple weeks, her name pops up on my phone. She's calling me. I'm like, oh, awesome, awesome. So I pick the phone up. And I'm like, Ruth, I've been trying to call you. Where have you been? Like, what's going on? And it wasn't her voice on the other line. It was her daughter. And her daughter said, Brian, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I was calling you to let you know that Ruth just passed away. You know, that is a very strange phone call to get. And obviously just the sadness and disappointment, you know, sets in. Now, I have to give you guys some context. Ruth had an amazing life, privileged in many ways, to be honest. Um, she lived well into her 90s, very healthy, no massive health issues. She had a very peaceful passing, as good as you could possibly hope for, and she knew Jesus. I mean, she had the ultimate human experience as much as you could hope for in this life. And yet, as good as all of that was, it was still such a sad moment to lose her. And I was just at her funeral this last week, and it was sad. It was a sad moment. Now, what's interesting is Paul says that Jesus died. But he says, this isn't just the passing of a loved one who you miss and wish you could see again. He says, no, something profoundly different happened with the death of this person, Jesus. This is not any normal human death. He says, Christ died for our sins. Now, Paul is saying that the death of Jesus in some way was payment. And not just 
any payment, payment for us. That, that, that's an interesting thing to talk about. If you're kind of new just to the Christian worldview, the Bible provides this whole framework for our situation we're in, and it talks about us being in debt and how we're not just in financial debt. We actually have a spiritual debt we owe to God. The Bible talks about this dynamic called sin. Now, some of you are like, oh boy, here it comes. Here's where the pastor starts to beat us over the head with his Bible, and he's going to tell us we're horrible sinners and that God's coming to punish us. Well, that'll come in a minute, so just give me a second. We'll get there. But let me ask you a question first. How many times in the last week have you done something you, were, you wish you didn't do? Can you think of some things in this last week? You're like, yeah, I kind of wish that didn't happen. I wish I didn't do that. Did you, you lose your temper at all this week on somebody? Did uh, you have any moments where maybe you told a little lie to get out of something or maybe not the full truth just to kind of smooth things over? Maybe you just ate too much this week? Drank too much, Maybe. Maybe there was somebody you were with one night, you're like, man, that was a mistake. Never again. Except probably next week when I call them again and regret it again. All right? That's another sermon. We'll talk about that one. We do this though, right? We got a whole list of things. We're like, yeah, wish that didn't happen. And our typical response is, well, yeah, Brian, nobody's perfect. Exactly. That's my point. You're not. And neither am I. We are far from perfect. And the reason that's a problem is, You were made to be perfect. God made you to express his perfect nature, his flawless character. You were designed to live out perfect love, perfect joy and peace and purpose in this life. That's how you were made. And yet every single one of us, we fall very far short of that perfect design. And every day we do damage to that design in our own lives through this thing called sin. So we have racked up a nice, hefty spiritual debt with God that we could never pay back. And yet Paul says this, God came to earth in Jesus not to punish. He came to pay. And because he was God, he had the spiritual resources to cover over all of our sin, which is why we sing in church and we celebrate because of the amazing reality of that. But it's not just, track with me, that Jesus died. It's not just that he died for our sins. Paul says, according to the scriptures. Paul's saying, this is not just an event that happened. This is something that God had been planning and preparing for and even prophesying and talking about hundreds and even thousands of years before it even happened. Paul's like, read the book. You can see that God had been planning and working this thing out for a long time. This is all something that's been in the works. And then, here's what Paul does. He does a little mental exercise. He's like, okay, I'm telling you this thing happened. But let's just assume it didn't. Let's just play that out for a minute. Let's just assume Jesus really was just a normal death and just a loved one who passed away. If you, you could read it later on your own, but verse 14 of that chapter, he's like, okay, if that's the case, then my preaching's useless, and so is your faith. What's happening right here, everybody? This is a pointless exercise right now in this room. Now, some of you, to be honest, you might feel that way right now. You're like, exactly, Brian. Let's wrap this thing up, all right? Give me a couple more minutes, all right? I promise I'll finish on time. But he's like, it's useless. Like, your faith is useless. So as my preaching in verse 18, he says, any of the people you love that have died, they are gone forever. There is no hope for them. You will never see them again. There's no hope for you. That's all there is. He's like, that's the truth. Verse 19, if only for this life, We have hope in Christ. 
we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers the early YouTube days, like 2007, 2008. It was like the Wild West on YouTube back in that day. And there were some videos that started going viral right at that point in time. And they were pranks that people were pulling on their friends and family members. They were giving them fake lottery tickets. And so they would get all these fake lottery tickets. They give them to the friends and the friends are scratching them off. And they're like, oh my goodness, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm quitting my job. I'm cussing out my boss. I'm retiring tomorrow. They're all getting super excited. They think they're millionaires overnight. And then you could see the family members laughing in the background and they realize what happened. And what they see is that their lottery ticket is totally worthless. It's as valuable as toilet paper. That's what they realize. And here's what Paul is saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this really didn't happen, your faith is a worthless lottery ticket. It is toilet paper. It can do nothing for you. Everything we're doing right now, this is a cruel, practical joke. We've been lied to. And so Paul brings this whole mental exercise together in verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hey, life is short. There's nothing after this. You might as well get as much as you can out of this life. YOLO, everybody. Anybody know that line? You only live once. So live like a frat boy and a sorority girl and go have a good time. Wait for marriage before sex? Why? No, get as much as you can. Be faithful to your spouse? No, you only have so much opportunity to go have some fun. Um, forgive your enemies? Why? Bury them in your backyard. You don't have to deal with any of their nonsense. Like, no. Nothing about this matters. It, there's nothing behind it. And, but Paul's like, okay, we've thought through that possibility. But he's saying, you need to understand, Jesus did not die, just die. He didn't just do it for your sins. It's not just that the Bible talked about this. Paul says, he appeared. You got to understand, when Jesus died, he didn't stay there in the ground. Paul said, this guy was alive again, and it's not just some random tinfoil hat guy trying to spread a conspiracy theory. He said his own followers, his close-knit apostles who never expected this, all had that encounter, and it totally blew their minds. They never thought it was going to happen. Paul said there are 500 people at this moment who had the same experience. He said, go talk to them for yourself. Ask them. And he said, I myself had a personal encounter with Jesus. You guys got to understand how profound that is. Paul persecuted and killed Christians. He hated the Jesus movement. He thought it was a fake lottery ticket. He was trying to snuff it out. And he said, I had such a real encounter that it changed the entire trajectory of his life. So now we are literally reading letters written by Paul. And he's become one of the most impactful, influential followers of Jesus that has ever lived. Which is why Paul is able to say with such confidence, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Hear me today, everybody. You must understand this. Christianity is not fundamentally about a collection of good teachings. It is not primarily about some cultural religion so you can have some nice holidays spread throughout your year. It is not a feel-good religion to provide you a false sense of hope. No, you must understand, Christianity fundamentally is about an event that happened in human history. There was a moment when God himself, compelled by love, came to this world, died for you, and came back to life. This is 
the one thing that changes everything. If this is true, this is of first importance for everybody. And it must be for you too. I have to ask some people today, is the resurrection of Jesus important to you? Has the fact that somebody died and rose from the dead, has it had any influence on your life? Has it changed the way you live in any way? Are you moved by this on any level? I have to press on this a little bit. This is of first importance. This is the one thing that changes everything. And if Jesus and his resurrection is not even of moderate interest to you, you owe it to yourself to ask why. Why are you unmoved by this? Why is this something that does not occupy your mind at all during the week? Why is this something that has no influence on your behavior or life in any meaningful way? Truly, Paul says this is of first importance. This should dramatically impact your life and the way you live it. You have to respond to how unbelievable this historic event really is. And it's not even just that Jesus, one thing changes everything. It's this one thing is now our thing. Let me unpack what I mean by that. Verse 20, we're staying in the same chapter. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, Paul says, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now there's a lot in there. I'm at a season of my life where I spend most of my Saturdays at small children's birthday parties. It's wonderful. There is an inevitable moment at every single little child's birthday party, every single one I've been to, where there is a cranky, exhausted dad who appears and hangs up the pinata, all right? The pinata is always a dinosaur or a unicorn without fail, and you guys know how this process works. The kids all get super excited, get in their line, and they all take turns whacking this thing. And then there's that also inevitable moment when you have the eight-year-old boy with biceps as big as your head who comes and just destroys the thing. Now, what's interesting to me about this whole pinata experience is it's always one kid who makes that hit that breaks the whole thing open. It's always one kid. And the candy goes everywhere. And yet every birthday party I go to, every single kid gets the candy. They fill their bags up to overflowing. And what Paul is saying here, he's talking about this idea of first fruits. He's using an agricultural analogy here. And the first fruits were the first crops that came up in a harvest that would often be presented to God as an offering of gratitude. And what Paul is essentially saying is, Adam, the first man, hit the pinata of sin in human history. And all of it spread out, and we are filling our bags full in our lives. Every single one of us. But he says, as much as that happened through Adam, he said, Jesus hit the pinata of resurrection. And now that is spreading out into all of the lives 
of people who have placed their faith in him. And so, it's good. Now Paul's going to unpack this, because he's going to give some detail here. Verse 42, Paul says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Do you see what we're talking about right now, everybody? The resurrection of the dead, not just resurrection of Jesus. Again, this is expanding out. The body that is sown is perishable, is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Now Paul is kind of taking some digs at us right now. He's saying, hey, you have a perishable body, just so you know. Last week, if you missed it, I talked about how all of our bodies are like milk, right? We have expiration dates, and some of us feel that a lot more than others. I just had a birthday in the last week. I'm feeling it, everybody, okay? You're perishable. We age like milk, all right? It doesn't get better with time. Not only that, Paul says there's dishonor to our bodies. Let's just have an honest moment, everybody. There are things about all of our bodies we are a little ashamed of, embarrassed about. Can we be real? Our bodies produce smells. Some which you may smell in this service today. Look around you. I'm just saying. Our bodies produce sounds. Some which maybe you'll hear. Hopefully not. We'll see. Our bodies have weird quirks and just have strange dynamics to them. Some of us in this room, if we were to put a Q-tip in your ear, a candle would come out because you have so much wax in your ears. Some people are looking at people right now. Be careful with where you're looking. <laughs> Some of the guys in the room, you don't have chest hair. You have a shag carpet on the front. That's what you have. Ladies, real talk. There's a reason you sometimes spend up to an hour getting ready for things. And all the ladies say, I don't spend an hour getting ready. Yes, you do, because us guys are waiting for you. Taking up all that shower time and everything. My goodness. It's a... Dishonor. Also, though, he says, weakness. There is a weakness dynamic to our bodies, which becomes very real in time, too. This was hilarious to me, because now I can relate. I was talking to a lady recently. She said, Brian, I turned my neck this way, and I pulled my whole back out. And some of you guys know, that's very real. That's a real thing. I was talking to one of my guy friends recently. He said, he said, Brian, I was laid out for a week on the couch, and I don't even know what I did. It just hurt. Like, I don't even know what happened. There's a weakness thing. Now, Paul says that is the reality of the human experience, and yet he goes back to some agricultural analogies here. He says our bodies are sown. And he's using this image of like a seed. I think a seed is sown into the ground, and it dies. But many seeds come back as these beautiful, large, strong trees. There's something totally different, completely transformed from what they were before, and it never would have happened if they were not sown. And Paul is saying that all of us are going to be sown in death one day. It's a dynamic of the unfortunate human experience, and yet at the same time, we will be raised, Paul says, with imperishable, glorious powerful bodies, something totally different than anything we can imagine at this moment. This is what Paul is saying. You need to understand, there's a promise to you right now. There is a new reality coming. God is sowing something in your life that will come to full fruition one day, a new existence, a new body that is imperishable. It is immortal. It is going to be strong. It'll be robust and resilient. You are not milk, everybody. You are a fine wine, you will get better with time. It's going to be amazing. This is what Paul is saying. And so 
You have to hear this today. If you are a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this life is the worst it will ever be for you. This is as bad as it will ever get. Now, I am not diminishing or denying any of the pain and suffering of this life. It's real. I'm not doing that. But you need to know, this is as bad as it will ever be for you. This is the worst. And again, if you are in Jesus, every day you wake up, you are one day closer to this glory that Paul is talking about. You are one day closer to this new reality, to this imperishable existence where all sin and death will be removed. This resurrection hope is yours too. Jesus' thing is now your thing. And he's inviting all of us in to experience this amazing pinata explosion of the resurrection in our lives. And it is coming. This is a promise. So here's the thing. If that's true, and Paul says it is, it is certain. This is historical fact. This cannot be taken away from you. This is a promise you have from God himself. If that's the case, what does that mean for us today? Like, what should this do with your life right now? How should Christians be living differently in the world? How should we look different? What should your experience look like? This is where it's going to get good. First off, Paul says, you need to, if this is true, stand firm. You need to stand firm. Look what Paul says in verse 58. Therefore, because of Jesus' resurrection, our resurrection, the hope we have, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Now, when Nicole and I moved to Colorado four years ago, we got this little slab of concrete in our backyard. And we bought these wicker chairs for this little mini concrete patio. Nobody told us before we moved to Colorado that you get hurricane force winds here every other day. And so I'm coming home from work and there's just furniture everywhere all over in our backyard every day. And we kind of became notorious as kind of like the hillbillies of the neighborhood that just have garbage spewed all over their yard. And it's just frustrating because all this furniture is getting moved around all the time. Just moved around, blown around, pushed around and everything. I have to ask you today, what is moving you? What in your life is pushing you around? What is moving and pushing you away from the presence, power, and purposes of Jesus in your life? Every single one of us, we have winds in our life that are just blowing us around. And sometimes it's just the daily stress and grind of life. And you don't even realize it, but you're, you're just, you got this drift going on in your life. You're getting blown around. There's people in our church right now who are going right through a crisis, and it has just blown them off the tracks of their spiritual life. It's a diagnosis. It's job stress. It's just complacency and laziness sometimes. We get blown and moved around. Now, Nicole and I got smart this summer because we bought some metal chairs, everybody. I'm about to preach right now. We got us some metal chairs. And I'm telling you, if you look out my windows now, if you come to our house, it doesn't even look like it's windy at all because those chairs might as well be nailed into the concrete. They're not moving, everybody. I bought the heaviest chairs you can find. And this is what Paul is saying. Jesus' death, his resurrection, it is rock solid. And so is yours. So you need to be firm 
in your commitments to Jesus. You need to stand in what he has for you. You don't need to be blown around by the winds of this life. You don't need to be pushed around by your own emotions, by the seasons and situations. You can stand firm and rooted. And some of us today, you need to decide, I will not be moved. I will not be moved off of my commitment to Jesus. I will not be moved from the hope I have. There's nothing that is going to pull me away from this. This is of first importance in my life. This is the one thing for me that has changed everything, and I will stand firm in it. Nothing is going to push me around when it comes to this commitment. Stand firm. You can. But the next thing Paul says is to fully commit. Fully commit. Let's continue in the verse 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, I'm at a season in my life, everybody, where maybe I'll do a couple runs a week, you know, a little jog around the block. I'm not trying to win any races. I'm not trying to pay $150, go run a marathon and be tortured. I got no interest in that. The only thing I'm trying to do is prevent the dad bod from hitting my life with force. That's all I'm trying to do right now, fend off the impending dad bod. This is not a full commitment for me. It's a leisure activity at best. Now, a little while back, I watched a documentary on somebody you may have heard of, Usain Bolt. Heard of this guy before? Now, if you haven't heard of Usain Bolt, he is the fastest man who has ever lived at this point in human history. He's the guy way ahead, just in case you're wondering. That's like a 100-meter race right there. He's like 10 feet out. Now, what's fascinating about Usain Bolt when I was watching this documentary, his entire life is a full-on commitment to running. Everything. The way he does his diet, the way he manages his schedule, his sleep, they treat his body like it's a Formula One car. And what, what really made me know this was a full commitment for him, there was one point in the documentary where he's doing sprints around the track for practice, and he just takes a quick pit stop and just vomits everywhere on the side of the track, and then just gets back on the track and starts running again. I'm like, that's another level. I have never vomited because I've run so hard in my life. Maybe if somebody was chasing me, but otherwise, no. And this is what Paul is saying. You need to bring that kind of intensity to your Christian life. You need to have an always full-on commitment when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. This is not a leisure activity, everybody. You know what Paul calls it? work. He said, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I'm sorry, I wish it said that. I wish it said, always give yourself fully to the vacation of the Lord. I wish it said that. He calls it work. This is work, everybody. It's sometimes exhausting. It's sometimes hard. You don't always see the fruits of it in the moment. And I'm wondering, what work does God have for you in this season you're in? What does he want you to fully commit yourself to? I know that some of us in this church, you hate your job. But you need to realize that God has you at that job for a particular purpose. And he wants you to be light in that dark place. He wants you to be an influencer. He wants you to bring his very presence to those people. You're there for him. And you need to fully commit yourself to it. Some of us in here, you need to bring the full commitment to the season you're in with your family. You're exhausted with kids, taking care of family members, but it's the work God has for you. And he's saying, give yourself fully to it. I just need, I need to meddle a little bit here right now. Some of us in here, you need to take an honest assessment 
of your own Christian life and practices? Does it show any always full commitment to Jesus? Are you really digging into his word? Are you praying with real expectation? Is there a spiritual vitality in your life? Are you fully committing yourself to God's people and the church family? Are you using your gifts to serve? Does your budget reflect any priority of Jesus in your life? Do you plan anything around the purposes of God? Paul says always, fully. This is not something we're just playing at. It's not a game, everybody. This is an all-in thing. Fully commit. Now, why does Paul set such a high bar? I mean, how can he place it that high? It, it doesn't even sound reasonable on some level. But this is why. This is why Paul can say this with such confidence. Let's finish the verse out. 58, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. I have to imagine that if we had Usain Bolt here on the stage and we said, dude, why are you running so hard? Like, take a day off, man. J enjoy your life. You only got one of them, so you might as well have some fun. I can almost guarantee you if he was sitting up here, he'd be like, what are you talking about? I have the opportunity to run in multiple Olympics, to set world records, to change the face of human history and what's possible for the human body. You think I feel like I'm wasting my time right now? You think I feel like this is in vain? I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. I am going to give myself fully to this. This is the call of God on my life. This is what I was made for. And for us as Christians, all of us, we have these temptations in our lives where we say, I don't know if this is worth it. Like, what is God doing? I don't see any purpose in this. I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like, is this going anywhere? And because of what Paul has said, the heart and attitude of Christians should be, yes, I'm exhausted sometimes. I'm not always having fun. I want to vomit on the side of the track of life at times. And yet, when I consider the resurrection of Jesus, the promise of resurrection in my own life, I could not imagine giving myself to anything else. This is of first importance to me. This has changed everything. So whatever sacrifices I do have to make, it is going to be worth it. It is not a waste. This is what God made me for. And so I have to tell our church today, hear me, it is not in vain. It's not in vain. You are not wasting your life. You are not just buying time. Those years that you thought could not be undone, God is promising that even that was not in vain. It's not in vain. I'll be real with you guys. I have a lot of times when I feel like it's in vain. I'm sometimes going around the track of life, I'm just like, it doesn't feel like a whole lot is happening. It feels like I'm spinning my wheels. I'll be real with you guys, it feels like that in ministry sometimes. You're like, I hope this sermon does something. You know, I, I hope I helped that couple. I might have just made their marriage worse in that counseling session. I don't even know if I fixed it. Like, I hope this prayer is actually doing something. I'm spending enough time praying. Hopefully, God answers something. Like, I, sometimes it's hard to tell. Am I the only one that feels this way? I actually, early in my ministry, 
started what I call just an encouragement folder. I got it right here. It's my encouragement file. And anytime I'd get like a card from somebody or see some story or whatever that was just an affirmation that I wasn't wasting my time, I'd save it away. And I have a digital file. Any email I get, encouraging text, I save all of it. And it's just a reminder to me. There's actually a girl Nicole and I came across years ago when we were part of a church, and she came from a tough situation. Single mom, poverty, hard, hard life in so many ways. And so Nicole and I, we were just trying to love on this girl. We're like, all right, we'll just try to be a presence in her life, just try to encourage her, just be around. And so we were just trying to do that. Now, any of you guys that have worked with kids on any level, kids or teens, you know how it can sometimes be a very unrewarding experience. Because some of you guys, you even serve in the kids' ministry, you're like, I'm loving on these kids, I'm praying over them, but there is nothing coming back. And this kid's going to go to college or work one day, I'll never hear from him again. I don't know what's going to happen in their life. Like, you just don't know if the investment's worth it. And I actually got a text from this girl, her name was Adia, um, on one Father's Day, actually. And she just texted me this. She said, I just wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day. Even though you aren't a dad yet, you have acted like one to me and so many others. Thank you for caring about me and praying for me and making sure I feel welcome. I really do appreciate it. Happy Father's Day. Now, I've actually kept tabs on Adia over the years. And what's really incredible just about her story is she has grown to be an incredible woman of faith and just purpose and transformation. And even just recently, she graduated from an elite university, and she is thriving as a young woman who loves God. It's a really cool story. Um, now, one thing I know is that I was one tiny little piece of her whole puzzle. I was not the driving force in her life or the only influence. But even with that being said, do you think I regret for one moment what I invested in that girl? Do you think I feel like any of those texts or prayers were a waste? Do you think any of those hugs didn't have an impact? I'm telling you, I would do it a thousand times over for that girl because I know it was not in vain. God used every single moment we shared in that season to help her on her own trajectory of life and purpose. Now, I'm willing to bet that many of us in this room, you don't have your own encouragement file that you carry around. But you want to know what? God has one for you. He does. God has an entire file for your life. There will be a day when you stand in front of him and I really believe he's going to open that thing up and he's going to say, you remember that one season you were in when you wanted to give up? You remember when you just wanted to quit? But you decided just to hold on with that last little thread of strength you had. Look what I did with that season. That wasn't a waste. Those weren't lost years. I was working. I was redeeming. I was using that for eternal purposes. You know when you got that diagnosis? You had to go through all those experiences and it just felt like, what's the purpose of this? 
this is what I was doing through all of that. I was working. That wasn't in vain. All those things that you thought were not working out or doing anything in your life, I was in the middle of every single one of them to work out my perfect purposes in your life. It was not in vain. Some of you in here need to hear this word today. Your life is not in vain. It's not a waste. You are going to look in the rearview mirror of your life one day, and it won't be falling all over the road, breaking into millions of pieces. You're going to see God's hand working and repairing and renewing, and you will see how he brought everything together for these incredible purposes in your own life and for eternity. And so, hear me today, everybody. Jesus is alive. And And you will be too. That is the promise you have. And so, if that is the case, you know what our word is to us? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in Let's pray. Lord, what an encouragement. Thank you so much, God. Jesus, the hope we have in you, that even with the brokenness of our lives, the mistakes we make, you promise you will not waste it. It is not in vain. The sacrifices we make, the seasons we go through, you promise to be working in all of it. And that even in this life, we are just sowing a seed for a beautiful resurrection and eternity, God. I pray right now that that encouragement would root itself in our hearts so we can truly stand firm, Lord. So we can be unmoved in our commitment. So we can be always fully giving ourselves to your purposes and your plans in our life, regardless of what we face. I pray that to sink deeply into our souls today, God. Lord, encourage hearts today for anybody in here that feels like years have been lost, that seasons have been wasted, that things can't be undone. I pray that they would see it's not in vain. It's not in vain. And Lord, I I, I just pray that you would help us as Christians live this out so we can be an amazing witness to this world. And if you're in this room today, You need to know that this is a promise to people who've placed their faith in Jesus. And that he is reaching out to you, that he has died for you to pay for your sins. And today, maybe you realize, I don't really know Jesus. I haven't put my full faith in him. I don't have that certainty that Paul is talking about. You haven't had a real transformation encounter with Jesus. Right now, you need to place your faith in him. You need to place everything on him. He needs to become the thing of first importance in your life. He needs to be the one thing that changes everything for you. So reach out to him in your heart and mind right now. Say, Jesus, save me. I give you my sin set me free. I want to live for your purposes. Reach out to him. He will transform you. He will renew your life, and he will give you the hope of heaven. God, I pray over 
everybody reaching out to you now. I pray for salvation in this room. I pray for transformation in this room. I pray for people's lives to be changed into eternity, that this church would see transformation across Colorado and this world. Lord, increase our faith. Let us experience your amazing presence and power in our lives. And now, God, I just thank you for everything you have done on our behalf. And I pray that today we can leave encouraged. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.